The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Good day, everyone. Welcome again to another edition of Boomer Generation Radio. This is your host, Richard Address, and we are coming to you from the beautiful Sunsplash Studios of WWDB AM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia. We are streaming live on WWDBAM.com. And just a reminder that you can reach uh, Boomer Generation Radio. You can like us on our Boomer Generation Facebook page and email us at BoomerGenerationRadio at gmail.com. And these shows are all podcast on my website, uh, www.jewishsacredaging.com. We're going to be back with a full house. We have a full house here on our first segment uh, talking about some very interesting uh, options in senior housing here being developed uh, in Center City, Philadelphia. And we'll be doing that right after this message from our very good friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services in eight states that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Please join us in together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome back to our first segment here today. Uh, we are very pleased to well. We have lots of people here and online. First of all, let us welcome uh, Mary Ellen McNish, a resident um, at Friends in the City. And we're going to be talking about this uh, very interesting program at Friends in the City here in Greater Philadelphia. We're also welcoming Mr. Ted Reed, a uh, board member for this organization. And I think, I hope, according to the master computer here, Joan, Joan Countryman, the board chair of Friends in the City is online with us. Joan, are you there? I'm here. Great, great, great. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome to Boomer Generation Radio, everybody. Let's get to the basics. Ted, tell me, what what is Friends in the City? Well, actually, Friends in the City is part of a larger organization called Friends Center City, and we have three components to that organization. One is the residential community where both Mary Ellen and Joan live at 22 South Front Street. That's called Friends Center City Riverfront. Secondly, we have a community without walls, which we call FITSI, or Friends in the City. That's more than 500 people who live around uh, Center City who participate in our activities and events uh, as part of a community uh, that enriches their lives as they live downtown. And then the third component actually is a service that we provide uh, for people who are members of FITSI, uh, who are living in their own homes, and that's called FITSI Plus. Uh, people who are members of FITSI Plus can call a single number, get a navigation help desk, and get whatever kind of assistance they need that enables them to continue to live in their homes independently. So, uh, this, so this, pro- this program and so then is a combination, a residential program in, a f- in, in, in the building on Front Street, and people who are living, I guess, in that immediate area, the, the Without Walls program is within the immediate areas, or, or is it all C- over? Anywhere in Center City. Anywhere. Okay, so that's a fairly large uh, swath of territory <laughs> to, to cover. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, 
Mary Ellen, you're a resident. I'm a, yes. Talk to me about uh, that facility, uh, Friends in the City. Well, it's a wonderful condominium where uh, we have a portion of the – there's 40 units. We have 10 at the moment. We could go up to 20. We have um, wonderful opportunities to engage together, and we have a common area. And we basically have dinner together twice a week. We call ourselves an experimental community because there are no services on site. It's not like a retirement community that has assisted living and so on. We are just independent apartments, but we have built a community within a community. Purposely. Purposely, We uh, get together to do things. We have a beautiful garden tended by a garden committee. It's one of the most beautiful rooftop gardens in the city. It's not on the roof. It's over our garage, so we call it a rooftop garden. But it's gorgeous. So in in the material that you you sent uh, prior to the show when we were going over, we we talked a little bit about this um, before the show, you you write that that this multi-tiered project is quote a concept of how to better age in the city how to better age in the in the city Joan could you could you unpack that phrase for me what does that mean well um, I I would begin by saying that we are um, people who as we began to age thought about retirement communities as as good opportunities for um, uh, for safe and and pleasant and community building places, but the people involved with with Friends Center City are also love being in the city, love being in in downtown Philadelphia, which turns out to be actually a, a fairly um, I would I don't say it's perfect, but I think it's a, quite a good place to to um, to get around, to have activities, to have lots of of um, lots of chances to do interesting things with friends, um, Philadelphia is a, is a good place to live. So we love being there, but we're also concerned that as we age, we um, we are more in need of services, health care services, sometimes home care services, and we we were looking for a way to to make that possible for ourselves and for others. Uh, the other piece of our interest is that we wanted to be multi-generational and diverse, and, and we celebrate the fact that, uh, for example, in our building, um, we are not, it, it isn't uh, just a community of retired people. There are retired people there, but there are also young people, um, people with young children, and we are um, right there at Penn's Landing, so you can imagine it's pretty active there. So I, I, this is, I think, a really important thing as a distinguishing factor between what uh, a, a retirement community or a, C, a continuing care retirement community or one of the over 55 communities. The fact that here's this building on Front Street in Philly that 10 uh, apartments are people who have chosen to retire and live in the city and form their own little community but the rest of that building is filled with all kinds of different people. So I think that's a great idea, and it really is reflective more of the world in which we live. 
uh, Mary Ellen, how often do you do, do you interact with the residents of the facility? I would imagine somebody may have knocked on somebody's door every once in a while and said, "Gee, I have a five-year-old and an eight-year-old. Do you babysit?" <laughs> I mean, this is the old rent-a-grandmother. Uh, I mean, I would imagine that would be if I was in that position. I'd say, "Boy, let me figure this one out." Yeah, we actually have one of our residents has twins, and we delight in um, watching them and and playing with them when they're out in the garden. One of the residents of, of friends the, in the city? No, or? no, one of the other residents <laughs> in the building. Say, if they have twins, <laughs> no. you're going to have a waiting list. <laughs> but it, and we also have uh, once, uh, twice a year, uh, we always throw a garden party where we just have uh, snacks and drinks at happy hour so that people in the building can get to know us and we can also uh, share with our residents who are not part of the community. Well, uh, you may be hearing something on the, over the air. That's a helicopter, I think, um, delivering either somebody for the Democratic National Convention uh, or <laughs> there's a helipad in the, in the office building around that. I don't know whether you all can hear that over the air, but all of a sudden... Everybody's eyes just bugged out of their head. <laughs> we either under attack here at WWDB or somebody did something. But anyway, there, there is a, a big office building next to it, and I think the, the, the 1% people fly in, evidently. Um, one of the well, things, I'm here in Rhode Island. I don't hear it. Are you in Rhode Island? Is that where you are? I, that's where I am, yes. Oh, congratulations. Did you hear that helicopter? Not a thing. Great. Okay. Well, then it's just these are very sensitive earphones that we have here. Um, so the the um, this intergenerational uh, issue, I think, is extremely important. I think it's one of the benefits of and Joan alluded to this about living in the city. And I know a lot of baby boomers mm-hmm. who are downsizing. I know several of my friends who they've sold the big house in the suburbs. And they've moved back into the city. Uh, Philly is no different than a lot of the other cities, especially East Coast cities, where you have this reverse migration of boomers coming back into the city because of the city life. So um, talk to me about um, uh, how, how, how do you engage life in the city? Because it seems to be something that is really at the heart of this project. Um, you're right there at Penn's Landing. You're in walking distance of just about everything. And Philly's a real good walking city. Some of the things that you're involved with at, at taking advantage of this city, what are they? Well, some, first of all, public transportation for seniors is mostly free. Um, so that's also we have four bus lines in the elevated right at the corner. Mm-hmm. So not only can we walk everywhere, but we get public transportation of great use we also, um, through FITSI, Friends in the City, there is an array of opportunities to participate in everything from book clubs and poetry writing clubs and uh, canasta clubs to lunches and dinners and walking groups, plays and concerts. Plays and concerts. There's like 10,000 things to choose from if you want to do it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to, but it's there and available if you want to. And and in the resident, in, in the building, from what I'm hearing, this there is no um, 
activities director. No. This is just Absolutely self-contained. Self- it's 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 a, almost yes. a, a organic. It's has, an organic. Has a, a, Perfect. A, okay, that's good to know. We're speaking with Mary Ellen McNeish, a resident at uh, Friends in the City. Ted Reed, the board member, and Joan Countryman, also a resident and the board chair of Friends in the City. And um, we will get back to. I want to talk a little bit about this, uh, the community without walls, because it's a very, very important aspect of and a trend. Uh, Ted, that seems to be evolving around the country as boomers um, wish to just age in place rather than going to a facility. And I, I want to pick that up. And we'll do that right after this word from our very good friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio was brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services in eight states that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Please join us in Together Transforming the Experience of Aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888 799-0128. Welcome back to our first segment here this morning on Boomer Generation Radio. This is your host, Richard Address, and we're coming to you from WWDBAM 860 here in Philadelphia and streaming live on WWDBAM.com. We're speaking with Mary Ellen McNish, Ted Reed, and Joan Countryman about this uh, very interesting profile and program here in Center City, Philadelphia, uh, Friends in the City, and um, the FITSI Friends in the City community. Uh, Ted, this is, uh, as you alluded to at the beginning of the show, this is a, a community without walls. So we have the residence where, where uh, Mary Ellen lives in this building with some friends and Front Street. But there's also this community of people who make themselves into a community, this friends in the city of people around Center City, Philadelphia, which is a fairly large area. How does that work? How do I get involved? I'm living in Fittler Square, a couple miles away from um, where the building is, and I want to be part of this uh, Friends in the City community without walls. How does that work? Well, first of all, um, we have roughly 550 members at this point. You become a member by going to our website, which is uh, friendscentercity.org, and you can sign up to be a member of FITSI there. Uh, once you signed up, then we have a regular program, and again, this is primarily run by volunteers, where uh, you get notices about various kinds of activities and events that you can participate in. You sign up online. If there's a charge, you pay online. And uh, the object is to get people to know each other, to build a supportive social network uh, for people who otherwise might be quite isolated living downtown. So... We know that that's extremely important for long-term health, and that's why we're uh, encouraging that. And our program is built around small groups of people getting together, getting to know each other, and participating in the life of the city. So instead of being isolated in the suburbs, you're enjoying and participating in everything the city has to offer. So, so I'm, I come into city. First of all, is there a minimum age requirement to join Friends in the City Without Walls? Uh, practically, no, uh, but general people are older. But define older. I mean, it's say 55, 50, over 50. Older. Okay, yep. so, so in that, in, in the AARP range. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Okay. How much 
does it cost to be a member of the Without Walls Committee? Uh, FITSI membership is seventy dollars, and per, that enables you to get all of the notices and participate in activities. Um, and we run. 125 to 130 activities, again, done by volunteers every month. Is that $70 per month? or Per year. Per year. Correct. Okay. So I, I, I send in $70 per year, and I'm, I get a newsletter or something, and people and I can go to this and join that or go to dinner there. All of a sudden, like this week in Philly, it's 95 degrees, bang, my air conditioner breaks down. Um, can I call the master number and and get somebody to fix my air because I'm a member of this community? So, no, not as a member of FITSI. To do that, you have to sign up for something we call FITSI Plus. Aha! Because many people already have access to those services right. in some other way. But for people who don't, we've actually put together a program that enables them to call a single number, a navigation help desk, to get a whole variety of kinds of assistance that they may need to enable them to continue to live independently at home. So, Joan, this, this, what Chad just alluded to, the idea of, I don't care, I, I, I just don't want to go into a facility. I really mm-hmm. want to age in place. I want to stay in my home as long as my environment, I'm comfortable here. Um, Talk to me a little bit about how you're seeing this evolve, not only locally because you're involved with it, but nationally. I mean, you're, you're involved with Kendall, as, as you know, as, as, and, and this is a trend, isn't it? It is a trend. I'm, I, yes, I am involved with Kendall as the uh, chair of the board of the corporation. Uh, and certainly in recent years, there's been uh, increased demand on, uh, of, of Kendall to consider ways in which people can be encouraged to, to stay in their, in, in their own homes. And in fact, there is a program that called Kendall at Home that uh, it started in, in uh, Ohio, which did just that. The, the um, you know, what we, everybody thinks about is this, uh, the baby boom, the first baby boomers who were born in 1946 are now um, 70, and there are a lot of them, and there are more to come. And the question that's been um, on everybody's mind: what, what, what will that those people want to do as they age? Well, I, I mean, I just speaking, you know, for my friends, what we want to do is stay active, <laughs> stay healthy, and what you uh, want to do is not age, right? It's, it's well, <laughs> I mean, that's a whole other theological, philosophical conversation in, in its own right. But the reality is, you know, we will. in all honesty, even though we may say that, all you have to do is get up in the morning and look in the mirror, and you realize that uh, no matter right. how many vitamins I take and how many times I run a mile on the treadmill, if I can, um, I'm still going to age. So the issue, obviously, is how do I make this as healthy and as positive as is humanly possible. Uh, one of the exactly. things, obviously, and I want, I want to ask you, all three of you, if you would comment on it, is w- an intended consequence of the community, either the facility on Front Street or the, the without walls, is a sense of community, personal relationships, and the antidote to 
a real fear, a fear, I think, of our generation, and that is being alone and isolated. Because we know, and we were talking about this before the show, there are so many now articles, studies, books, conversations about the, the very, very negative impact of being isolated, cut off. Um, talk to me about your own experiences with this program and its varieties of how you combat that sense of, of keeping people isolated. Well, I can say uh, perfectly uh, from experience, one of the things that I find is that making new friends and uh, having a, a wider complement of people that I can call on if I need help, it relieves – I have a daughter who lives in South Philly. I, it relieves me from having to constantly call her if I need help. So not only do I get – to socialize with new people and meet, make friends over time with those new people. But I have a group of people that in a heartbeat would help me with anything that I need. Very important. It's a sense of security too, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Ted, talk to me a little, you're, you're um, a board member from that, I guess, can I call it an administrative level? <laughs> um, and also Joan, who, who is a resident, but also, is on that administrative level. How do you maintain, how do you continually push to make sure that that sense of isolation is negated? What's the, what's... You know, one of, one of our uh, metrics, speaking of uh, administrative level, of whether we're succeeding is how often do people who are members of FITSI get together with other members of FITSI outside of what we organize? Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how much of that happens. So what that tells me is that people are developing new supportive friendship networks. Mm-hmm. So... Ordinarily, if you look, even in a, a really dense high-rise building downtown, people don't know their neighbors. Right, they right. don't have any friends. What we're trying to do is to break that down so people develop those friendships uh, and and identify people, as, as Mary Ellen was just saying, who can provide them with support when they need that support. Joan, is there any, you know, it's, this is all very positive. Have there, as this program has evolved, have there been any glitches, uh, negativity, uh, concerns, <laughs> problems that sort of like jumped up that you didn't, were not aware of? Well, there are always surprises, and I would say that uh, it's not so much negative as glitches. We've learned, uh, for example, how to manage registration. We've we've figured out ways to to deal with um, the fact that sometimes there's a high demand for something, and and then people don't show up anyway, and we've tried to avoid that kind of problem. Um, and but I would say that that it it's remarkably easy once you get going, to, especially with a group like ours, which in which people are encourage, encourage each other to volunteer, you know, and I, I would say this is true in Kendall as well. There's a sense that if you would like something to happen, uh, we're here to help you make that happen. You're not, we're not going to do it for you, but we we are a volunteer organization. If you'd like to have a writing group, um, and and you're not in one yet, we'll help you find some other folks who are interested in getting together to write. Um, and uh, we'll encourage you. I, I, that aspect of it, I think, is is has been very successful. 
Mary, let me ask you a question. Since you're, you know, we'll say you're representing the residents. Um, mm-hmm. Why did you choose to come into the city as opposed to going to a community out in the suburbs, self-contained, trees, rolling hills, quiet well, nights? I'm I, Something that you said earlier, you know, uh, we had a great big house in, in northeast Philadelphia, right on the Bucks County border. It was lovely. We lived right on the river. It was like bucolic. It was gorgeous, mm-hmm. but it was huge with a lot of upkeep. Up, up upkeep. upkeep. Yeah. upkeep. So um, I've always wanted to live in the city, and my husband did too, and so it was just a no-brainer for us. It was perfect. What? And I had been actually involved for 20, 30 years with a group of friends trying to find a place in the city, but it was always too expensive because of the property values. And of course, 2008 happened, mm-hmm. and it allowed this property to come available to, to become available to us on a what was what what I would say was affordable basis. It's it's dramatically increased since then, and that would be one of the downsides that I would talk about if if needed. It's expensive. It's so expensive the, the, the apartment the that you have is is a rental or no, no, you no. buy it? It's a condominium. So you yeah, purchase it. Purchased it, but there's another option of having a life interest. You can join the community, and the community will own the property, but you have life interest in the property. Okay, and and is it then passed on after you yeah. pass away, and yes. that's all part of the negotiations? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, the in, in before we run, we're running out of time. So, in in conclusion, Ted, best thing about from your perspective, best thing about Fitzy, the community, this process, this program. What is it? Oh, I love the unleashing of the creativity and energy of older people. Mm-hmm. These are people, most of whom have retired, uh, who have an incredible set of skills and background and are able to use that to support all kinds of institutions in Center City. And it's just really exciting to watch all of those resources coming in uh, to the city, both as participants, as volunteers, uh, and as contributors to uh, Fitzy mm-hmm. and the FCC Riverfront community. And, Joan, uh, I'll give you the, the honor of the closing statement. Um, as a person who's involved with this program uh, in Center City, but also involved on a more global perspective from Kendall, do you see this as a beginning of a tr- of a major trend within within the country? I mean, you alluded to the fact that you know uh, the Ohio began, and I know there's a the village program in operation around the country. But are you sensing that there's a, a greater desire on the part of boomers to do this type of a program as opposed to going into a facility, or is it really in many ways depending upon a physical condition and the need for medical care? Well, I, you know, I, I think I, I, what I like best is that we've created a different choice. There, there. This is a new choice, and one obviously is uh, very appealing to people. But um, you know, I love being in a community that accepts not only accepts the fact that we are aging, but also celebrates the ways in which we can make contributions. And 
I expect uh, that, in fact, there will be increasing numbers of people who want to try to build something like Friends in the, in the City because it, um, it, the, the sense of community is so powerful. Well, I, I think you're right, and um, I'm glad we, that you're part of this aspect of celebrating as opposed to bemoaning. And I think the celebration leads to ever. I think it's a mindset that changes everything, even from body chemistry to the way one looks at the world. Real fast, because we've got to gotta finish this segment, Ted. What's the, somebody is interested, hears this, they want any information. What's that website? That, that website, again, is friendscentercityalloneword.org. Friendscentercity.org. Mary Ellen McNeish, uh-huh. Ted Reed, and Joan Countryman, thank you very much for being guests here on our first segment here of Boomer Generation Radio today. Continued good luck. Um, take care of yourself down at Penn's Landing and have fun down there. <laughs> so, do. although, thank you. Thank you very much. Glad you thank came you. with us. We'll be back uh, with our second segment. We're going to move into a conversation with Robin Goldberg Glenn from Wider University talking about some issues dealing with older adult sexuality and a very important conference that's coming up. And we will do that right after our uh, musical bridge. And today, a little turn back the clock time with um, Ray Charles. It had to be you It had to be you I wandered around Finally found Somebody who Couldn't make me be true Whoa, whoa, whoa me be blue and even be glad just to be sad thinking of you some others I've seen might never be Might never be cross I try to be boss But they wouldn't do For nobody else Gave me a thrill With all your faults I love you still It had to be you Wonderful you It had to be you
Welcome back to our second segment here this morning on Boomer Generation Radio. Again, coming to you from WWDB AM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia, and we are streaming live on WWDBAM.com. Boomer Generation Radio at gmail.com is how to reach us, as well as the Boomer Generation Radio Facebook page. You can do that. And again, a reminder that... Um, all the Boomer Generation Radio shows are available as a podcast uh, on JewishSacredAging.com, and we invite you to visit that. Uh, we are very pleased to welcome here in studio Robin Goldberg-Glenn, co-president of the Widener University Sexuality and Aging Consortium, Widener University, just down the road, down 95 in Chester, Pennsylvania. Robin, welcome. Welcome. Thank nice you. to see you. Thank you for having me back, Richard. Thank you for coming. Um, talk to me a little bit. Let's let's before uh, we want to talk a little bit about this uh, sexuality and aging training conference uh, that you're involved with the consortium. But let let me uh, ask you what the consortium is. What is it? How it got to be where it is, and what does it do? Okay, the consortium started. It was several years ago. Uh, it was founded by Peggy Brick. Who has been on the show a couple of times. Right, right. She actually, um, well, I probably shouldn't reveal where she's living, but she was a director of Planned Parenthood and then aged herself and noted the needs of older adults in relation to sexuality and intimacy. Uh, she has training in the area of um, sexuality. She got together a group of um, sexuality educators, including a Melanie Davis, who invited me to come on board because I taught aging in the Center for Social Work Education at Widener. And it just started as a small group of women getting together, thinking about how we could train those working with older adults who really were ignoring the needs in terms of intimacy and sexuality. It eventually grew, and Melanie Davis and Karen Hicks became president, and we started organizing conferences as a way to invite uh, social workers, health professionals, lawyers um, to be trained and so that we could reach a larger group of individuals rather than just doing individual trainings in nursing homes, and that led to the development of the consortium and our annual conference. So what am I being trained in? So the um, mission of the consortium basically is to... Um, teach people that older adults have the right to express their sexuality um, and intimacy. When we work with trainers, there's a variety of topics. For example, I'm going to be presenting with Molly Leach on the issue of touch. Oftentimes, people forget that those in their later years still want to be touched. The only time that older adults get touched is when it's functional, to transfer a person from their bed uh, to the bathroom facilities, um, to administer medications. Right, the touching is in, is in, is in a in many ways, uh, to use a value judgment, a negative type of, you know, if I'm lifting you up or giving you an injection or toileting you, it's not an intimate touching. It's a functional touch. Functional, functional right? Functional touch. Uh, we have individuals. Um, including myself and some others who are doing trainings to sensitize long-term care facilities, assisted living facilities, physicians on the needs of LGBT older adults. If you look at the health disparities between LGBT older adults and 
heterosexual older adults. They're huge. I mean, what, what do you just, mean? We'll unpack that a little huge, bit. Huge. Um, the difference in their health status. Mm-hmm. Um, they're in poorer health, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that they are afraid to access the health care system because they have lived a history of discrimination. They don't is that changing though? Do you find it beginning to change? It, it, is, seems- it is changing. I think over the past few years we've become much more sensitive to LGBT issues in general. Uh, SAGE, which is a national right. resource center, has been mounted a training program throughout the country. Uh, but there's still a lot of work to do. Uh, a lot of work to do. And you have um, aides in these facilities who might not necessarily receive any cultural competency training, uh, may be religious and have strong feelings in terms of LGBT persons and may not sensitively care for these individuals. Let me pick up on something you just said about the culture. I mean, America's a a melting pot and the Mm -hmm. cultures are changing and there's so many different uh, cultures. This comes up all the time in my work. on the Jewish Sacred Aging program and, and a lot, all the time, every time we've had a conversation with people from the, um, healthcare industry here on the show, this comes up. Yeah. I, I'd be interested for you to, to talk to me a little bit about in your training sessions, the, the various cultural differences that you may run into. Um, Let's just say there may, uh, I'm, I'm sure there are differences between an American, um, Caucasian, upper middle class person and the, uh, some of my old doctor of ministry students, um, immigrants coming in from a village in Nigeria, uh, Igbo tribe people mm-hmm. who are bringing their culture, but yet find themselves aging different cultures how do you, how do you ma- manifest the training and the sensitivity to take that and and that's something we're working more and more on trying to integrate religion class because you'll see differences in class um differences in education so what we do is train the trainers who go into these centers to be culturally competent and they will incorporate aspects of religion or class or spirituality into the training, uh, trying to help individuals identify what um, their clients may or may not be willing to do or want to do or, or you know, how the different groups may differ from one another. And what about language? I mean, you, I would imagine there's just, you know, you're going to, not everybody's going to speak uh, colloquial American English or Philadelphian for that matter. Uh, does that present an issue? Always. Always. <laughs> so we hope that we're able to attract members to the Sexuality and Aging Consortium who may be able to speak Spanish, mm-hmm. um, Chinese, um, Vietnamese, uh, you know, Arabic. Uh, but that's something we have to work on. I think it's something we have to work on even in the social work and other health professions of recruiting persons of different persuasions. Right. I'm, I mean, I, I do some uh, work with a hospice in South Jersey mm-hmm. uh, and, and – um, 
in having this conversation with some of the people at the hospice, they're, they're, becoming, they're becoming more and more aware that they need to train their volunteers to be culturally sensitive and also to understand various you know, types of language because as in sexuality issues, cultural differences in how one approaches the end of life are varied. And, and so you, if somebody wants to get in touch with you or, or have further information, how do they do that? Uh, they can get on our website, www.sexualityandaging.com, or they can reach me at the university, 610-499-1149, or my colleague, Melanie Davis, um, whose number is also identified on the website, Sexuality and Aging website. So but I just want to back okay, go ahead, go ahead. a little in terms of, because it's a, a really good question, social work has always incorporated uh, culturally competency training. Most schools have that. So they will address issues of religion, of language, of gender, of age, um, of race. Uh, and it's hoped that those social workers working in these settings will then train some of their paraprofessionals. But I personally feel that we have to reach the paraprofessionals much more than we have in the past. I mean, this issue of older adult sexuality, I mean, it's, it's very, very interesting. First of all, as the boomers age out, you know, a lot of the um, taboos, you know, I think have been reduced. Second of all, technology has made... Uh, sexuality much more available and less stigmatized. Um, and even last week in the New York Times, there's a very, very big story from the Hebrew home in Riverdale. And I remember researching an article for our professional journal uh, well over 10 years ago now and researching the codicils in some uh, facilities, one of the Hebrew home and another home in Arizona, where in the entrance papers, the right of sexual privacy and sexual activity was guaranteed. Yeah. And I think most people aren't even aware. No, no. Uh, talk to me about that. No, the, the, they aren't. And um, it, the Hebrew home in New York is the pioneer in that area. Um, I don't think it's written up in the brochures of these facilities. What older adults need to know is when they go into their facilities or their caregivers need to know that when they arrange for their relative's admission that they should write down exactly what the person is willing to accept or not accept. So if they want to have relations with a spouse or a partner who's still living on the outside of a community, they should have that in a contract so that the facilities have to abide by their requests. More and more nursing homes are starting to develop policies that would allow touching relationships. They're always concerned about the liability that someone's going to get hurt. But, but if someone's competent, they can sign a waiver. It's yeah. amazing. You know, you just triggered the case a couple of years ago. Maybe it was a couple of years ago. I don't know what the... Henry Rehon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I'm sure that your consortium dealt with that. I mean, it's a magnificent case study. We did. Actually, Melanie and I and Gail Dahl, who's one of our members, had been called up about his having a relationship with his wife. Real quick, give us the background of the, of the case. Um, and I, I hope I have all the details yeah, correctly, ahead. but um, Henry and his wife were 
remarried for several years, had a lovely, loving relationship. Uh, the wife um, had dementia, was admitted into a nursing home, and Henry was going in and um, having relations with her. Um, he was told to stop. And he didn't, and evidently a roommate reported him. He had been masturbating in the room, and the stepdaughters and nursing home brought a sexual harassment case against him. Uh, fortunately for him, the case was thrown out of court. But he was shamed throughout the media. He was shamed in the nursing home. And it was unfortunate because they never had a problematic relationship. And just because you turn a certain chronological age does not mean you should not be able to have a relationship with your loved one or that your relationship should be dictated by people you might not even have a relationship with, such as an administrator. And it really goes to this this whole idea that the myth, and it is still a myth, isn't it, that you get to be a certain age and the interest in sex and sexuality dissipates, and that is the myth. Absolutely the myth. Um, and it, it just doesn't make sense. You almost need more touching and more relationships uh, later on in life. And I think that that was clear in your last interview oh, when yeah. they talked about the need of people getting together and uh, having right. relationships. Relationships and, to counteract isolation. Nothing worse than being isolated. Number one complaint amongst older adults is loneliness. Absolutely. We're speaking with Robin Goldberg-Glenn, co-president of the Widener University Sexuality and Aging Consortium. And we'll be back with Robin here on our second segment of Boomer Generation Radio. I want to talk a little bit about the conference that's coming up. We'll do that right after uh, this word from our friends down the road at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall. Founded on Quaker principles, Kendall provides independent living, assisted living, memory support, skilled nursing and rehabilitation care for older adults in eight states. Whether you're looking for the intellectual and cultural stimulation of a college town or a big city, Kendall has a community for you. We are together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more, visit Kendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome back to our, we're just talking about something very interesting here, which we'll get to in a second with Robin. We're with Robin Goldberg-Glenn, co-president of the Widener University uh, Sexuality and Aging Consortium down at Widener University in Chester, Pennsylvania. So, Robin, when uh, Jason was like waving, stop talking and go back on the air. Um, Talk to me about what you were just mentioning. You, 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 the consortium is involved in speed dating? Well, actually, it's my students okay. at um, Widener University, and it's supported by the consortium. I uh, teach an aging course and an introduction to social work and social welfare. And with my undergraduates, we have organized what we first called speed dating, but we're now calling a speed friending event because it's less threatening. And we found we had more people attracted to the invitation with that name. And it's an intergenerational activity where we try to bring older adults together to either date or make friends and develop relationships. We started the first activity at Plush Mills 
where we showed the film The Age of Love, which is a documentary on speed dating. Uh, the students had discussion groups with the older adults. Um, interestingly, the students were afraid that the residents weren't going to talk to them, and it turned out the students didn't talk and the residents didn't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we The students put together a... Um, Romantic bingo and Jeopardy game for cool. the residents to play. They played violin. They brought in desserts. It was a wonderful weekend event. Uh, we most recently had a LGBT speed friending event at the William Way LGBT Center. And it was just wonderful. We had a brunch. We had a DJ there. The kids decorated the whole facility. Uh, but what was most impressive was the older adults because they really wanted to not only make friendships with one another, but with the students, too. So what we thought was going to be a musical cheers with the older adults ended up incorporating the students. And these older adults really educated the students about what it means to be old and a member of the LGBT population. And they shared their stories and their stories of loneliness and shame and going back into the closet later on in life. And I think it was probably the best learning experience. This, what was refreshing is the students really cared and they wanted to do something about it. And they want to continue doing this activity during their time at the university. Uh, I got to ask you, because uh, you're talking about the students you teach, you're at Widener. Give me a snapshot of um, the, the type of students who are attracted to these classes and to this work. Are they their own social work students? Are they general students? This is a graduate program, right? It's a graduate program. The two, well, no, these students were undergraduates. Really? Okay. So who, who, who are these people who come saying, this is an area, by, I think I'd like to take this class? Okay, so these two classes, while they're offered through the Center for Social Work Education, are open to all students. You might have some engineering students in there. You will have nursing students and the social work students. Those are traditional. You may have a humanities student. Uh, they tend to be students who are civically engaged, have a social conscience, um, have probably volunteered earlier in their life prior to coming to college. The mission of Widener is to be a university that focuses on civic engagement. So we've already creamed a population of students okay. who come to our university. And there are also students who are really willing to walk the walk and volunteer outside of their coursework. Now, many of our courses, I believe we have well over 150 uh, have a service learning component oh, okay. where students will go out, do service, and the professor will incorporate that civic engagement into the teaching of the topic that they're addressing. And we found it to be much more effective in terms of the students' learning and students who are civically engaged tend to get higher grades, have a more successful graduation rate, are they have developed a wonderful resume for themselves and really much more satisfied with the educational experience that they've received. Uh, on August the 4th in Alexandria, Virginia, you're co-sponsoring a conference. So um, in the, some minutes we have left in this segment, talk to me about this. this is an annual event? This is an annual event. We've now partnered with the Woodhull uh, Sexual Freedom Alliance um, group, which is a group that advocates 
for sexual freedom amongst all groups throughout the lifespan. We are fortunate this year to have two wonderful keynote speakers, Dr. Roberta Green, who's a friend of mine and a pioneer in the field of um, social work, will be our first keynote speaker. Um, she's published 13 books, well over, you know, 100 articles. Um, She's received the Age Social Work Career Achievement Award. She was uh, responsible for passing the 1987 Nursing Home Reform Act. And she's going to be incorporating her work on resilience into the topic of sexuality and aging. Um, She's also received quite a few grants from the National Institute on Mental Health to look at resilience in older adulthood. That's very important. Yeah, and and she's looked at it in a a number of areas, including Holocaust survivors. Um, And and she's terrific. The other keynote speaker um, is an advocate. She worked under the Obama uh, administration, uh, Mandy Carter, um, she's a political advocate, uh, invested in LGBTQ um, rights, and again, she's going to be talking about advocacy and try to address not only LGBTQ, but um, issues related to older African Americans. We have a variety of topics that we're touching upon. Um, Everything from LGBT seniors to the healing aspects of touch to faith, sexuality in older adults. Uh, we have um, two individuals who are doing presenting a wonderful study on uh, African Americans and love and intimacy, a qualitative um, study. Uh, let's see what else. Sexual uh, expressing your sexual relationships later on in life. Our co chairs are going to be presenting. And, who, and this is aimed at what population? It's aimed at everyone. It's aimed at, and that's what makes us unique when you compare us to other national conferences. Consumers are also, we would welcome older adults to this conference. We and want so this is, this is in Alexandria. Alexandria, Virginia. At the, where? At, oh boy. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's slipping my mind, which hotel. It, it's at a hotel, though. It's, it's, it's at, not, uh, at the uh, hotel. They can get on the website, www.sexualityandaging.com. All the information is there, including the registration. Okay, so this is a one-day conference. It's a one-day conference, um, 9 to about 6 o'clock. Okay, and, and, and Alexandria, which is right across the river from D.C., and the website again for information? www.sexualityandaging.com. Okay, and the cost for this is what? The cost for professionals is $100. There's, I believe, a discounted rate for um, older adults. Right, yeah, but that's a pretty reasonable It's thing, very reasonable. Professional conference. Yeah, and again, we, we, we want to work together. We want it to be a collaborative. And um, it won't be over, so professional that a consumer wouldn't be able to understand what's being presented. Are you encouraged that there's a greater awareness um, of issues regarding older adult sexuality and the acceptance of it, or is this trend emerging? We have a long ways to go still. Really? Yeah. So despite all the 
Yeah. I know the media is the movies are just starting to yes. just starting to feature people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s involved in intimate relationships for the first time yeah. ever. Just starting, but we need to get more funding to do research. We need more funding for programs um, and program development. We need more funding for training mm-hmm. professionals. You know, how do you make your facility sensitive? to the intimacy and the the sexuality needs of older adults. Um, We need to incorporate this more into textbooks. I am seeing more and more chapters on this in textbooks uh, for professional training. That's encouraging. Uh, And, you know, I'm hopeful because I'm aging myself. I don't want to have to deal with the shame that this generation has to deal with in terms of meeting their needs. So we have exactly one minute left in this segment. Give me one good thing to remind people of. What's the one message that you want people to take out of this, out of your work and out of uh, this conversation? Don't be afraid to be a sexual human being in later adulthood. That's a great message. Robin uh, Goldberg-Glenn, co-president of the Widener University Sexuality and Aging Consortium, a reminder of the conference that they're they're co-sponsoring on the Sexuality and Aging Training Institute, August 4th in Alexandria. The website, real fast again, Robin. www.sexualityandaging.com. Thank you, Robin. Continued good luck. And uh, thank you for coming back and sharing a lot of this great information with us. Continued good luck to all of you. Thank you again for... uh, joining us here on another edition of Boomer Generation Radio. We'll see you next Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern. Have a great week. Stay safe, everybody.